This is Cody Smith, and you're listening to the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. All right, what's up, you guys? Welcome back to the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. Today was probably one of my favorite interviews in the in the uh, most recent past. I actually had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Nick, also known as the Fittest Doc. Uh, on Instagram. However, right now at the time of recording this show, he actually got hacked on Instagram and his account has been shut down. So you won't be able to find him on there, but he is a doctor that works for SteadyMD, which is essentially an online slash remote modeled medical practice. And what I love about it is that Dr. Nick really shed some light on a lot of the issues that he sees in the medical community currently and how healthcare as a whole is ran in the United States. And there's a lot of things that he talks about in this show that resonated with me on a personal level, just simply because uh, I do, uh, I am married to somebody who is in the medical community and some of the things that we often have conversations about, he actually covered in the show. And especially one of the, the biggest ones is how a lot in the medical space is centered around treating symptoms instead of the causes of those symptoms. So today we take a deep dive in all of those things and uh, Dr. Nick is just you know, super cool dude. And in my opinion, he's probably one of the most jacked doctors I've ever seen. And it was just great to have him on the show. We're actually going to have him back out probably in the next couple months. And we're going to jump specifically into training. But uh, today, again, we jump into healthcare and you guys always know that I would love your help. The way that you can help to support the show in a big way would be to hit pause right now, head on over to iTunes and give the show a five star written rating and review that helps us to move up the charts and you know, really get this show into the ears of more people just like you. You can also take a screenshot on your phone, post it on your Instagram story, and then you can try to tag Doc Nick and I. Again, hit at the time of recording the show and recording this intro, his Instagram is actually shut down. So you can try to tag him. He is at the fittest doc. Hopefully by the time this show is released, he will have a way to get, you know, his Instagram issues rectified and get his profile turned back on. And then of course you can tag me at coach Cody Smith, share it on your story. I'll be sure to reshare it and then thank you and connect with you inside of the direct messages. And he will do the same as well if his account is up. But again, leave that rating review, take that screenshot, post it up on your Instagram story. And then without any further ado, please sit back and enjoy this amazing conversation with Dr. Nick. All right, what's up, you guys? Hey, welcome back to the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. We are super fortunate uh, as a podcast today, guys. We got Dr. Nick, also known as the fittest doc before on Instagram, on Facebook. And pretty much if you type that into Google, his, his information will come up. Uh, I stumbled on Doc Nick. Uh, I was telling him before the show, I was just going through the search bar one day and there was this really jacked doctor. Uh, he, you, were, you were doing something and he had his, uh, you know, his stethoscope around his neck. And I was like, man, like that dude's huge. And I go and look at him, come to find out he's in healthcare and uh, doing some pretty cool things in the uh, industry of fitness here. So I reached out to him. He jumped right on the show and here we are. So Dr. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, Cody. I'm, I'm happy that you, you invited me. Yeah, I'm definitely, uh, uh, was, was excited to have you reach out and wanted to, wanted to get on and have this conversation with you. And, um, yeah, excited. 
Nice, nice. So, um, Doc, I've listened to a, a ton of different shows that you've been on, and I've jumped into some of the stuff that you put out, and I love it. I've been very intrigued by it. Um, but for the, the, the people who do, do not already know who you are, who are you in a nutshell? What do you do? Um, let's get the listeners caught up with uh, you know who you are. Sure. So my name is Dr. Nabueze. I never go by that. <laughs> I, tell my, I, I tell my patients to just call me Nick. Um, uh, so I, I graduated med school. Um, so, so, uh, a little bit about, you know, my educational background, I graduated, um, uh, the college of engineering at Michigan state university, uh, uh, and then went to med school. I didn't want to continue with the whole engineering thing. Um, so I went to med school, graduated the college of, uh, uh, medicine, uh, at Ohio state university, 2015 as a, as an MD, um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, since, since then I've been practicing, uh, finished residency in 2018, have been seeing patients, um, since, uh, currently see patients across the country with a, uh, direct primary care model, uh, named steady MD. Uh, we see patients through the internet, um, and, and take care of patients on a, on a, uh, on a on a consistent basis, right? So you see, as opposed to, unfortunately in this country, there's a large contingent of people, upwards of 60% of people who have their main doctor be the emergency emergency room doctor or the urgent care doctor. Um, and then with that, it's, it's unfortunate, but you see a different doctor every time. And, you know, patients will, will complain that a doctor may not have the same mindset as them, may just kind of want to put them on medication or, or any other number of problems. Uh, so, so essentially, I'm very happy with what I'm doing right now, you know, with medicine, because I'm able to establish longstanding relationships with patients and then get to know them. They get to know me um, uh, and kind of guide them on a, on a journey to, to better health. So that's what I do right now with Steady MD. From a fitness standpoint, um, I, I have been pretty involved in the exercise world since maybe, you know, high school when, when my dad had to pry me off the computer because I was a huge nerd, pry me <laughs> off the computer. <laughs> prime me off the computer and, and, you know, stop playing video games and go to the gym. And, and I did not like going to the gym and he, he made me do it. And then, you know, once I started seeing some changes, I, I enjoyed it. That was the YMCA initially. Um, and uh, yeah, I think sometime around maybe 2006 or 2007, I remember seeing a short Asian woman, I believe she was Chinese, um, at the Olympics uh, that year, snatching like 225 pounds, something ridiculous. And I remember in my mind, I'm here, you know, at a global gym doing my bicep curls. And I'm like, I can't do that. Yeah. You know, how come, <laughs> how come this little girl can do that? And I can't do that. So, uh, so that, that kind of uh, was the beginning of me shifting my mindset away from uh, uni um, or a uh, 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 simple, simple movements, uh, not non-compound movements, um, to more multi, uh, multi-joint, uh, compound movements and that kind of, uh, essentially me shifting my mindset away from the whole bodybuilding thing that kind of everybody starts with and, uh, less towards bodybuilding. I don't do that anymore. I haven't done that now in over 10 years. And so I started CrossFit at about maybe like 2010, 2011, and I've been doing it been doing it for a while now so i've um it's it's what i enjoy doing and i've been i think i've been a crossfitter at maybe six or seven gyms around the country at this point 
You, you know what's interesting about you too is that there <clears throat> there are so I, I can think of so many doctors over the, the and this is probably something you run into all the time, right? Like I, I can think of so many doctors over my course. Like I've been coaching in 10 years. I've been in the CrossFit community for, you know, the same amount, right? And prior to that, I you know, I had some global gym experience and things like that. But throughout my CrossFitting time, I, I can't tell you how many clients have come to me and said that their doctor was so against, you know, CrossFit and stuff like that. Like, where do you think yeah. that comes from? And like, for you, like, how did you have such a different mindset towards like, you know, for me, I'm like, like what we do in the gym is a beautiful thing. I couldn't think of why anybody would think that would be bad. So for mm -hmm. you, um, where did that mindset shift come from? And, uh, you know, how did you gain the perspective that you have on it now? Okay, so I'll answer the first question. I think that where that comes from, unfortunately, is popular culture, mm -hmm. right? Um, what's the what's the narrative? What's the common narrative behind CrossFit and popular culture? Oh, CrossFitters are like vegans. They just can't shut up talking <laughs> about CrossFit, you know? And then unfortunately, another popular notion as it pertains to CrossFit is that it's unhealthy and that it is unsafe. When, when you look at the numbers objectively, um, it's actually one of the safest things you can do per 1,000 hours of training. Um, there, I, uh, I could reference a study um, uh, that, that came out a, a few years ago, but essentially when you compare CrossFit to many of the other things you can do, um, uh, not just in the gym, but from an athletic standpoint, it is, it is one of the safest things you can do. Uh, and that is further, um, further magnified or, or further, uh, 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 further true when you have good coaches in, in across the gym. So it's unfortunate. Uh, but unfortunately, when when you have popular culture, as it is, uh, with regards to CrossFit, you're going to have ignorant people like many doctors are when it as it pertains to CrossFit, you're going to have ignorant people thinking that they know what something is when in reality, they have no idea what it is because they haven't experienced it firsthand. And they're not even open to the idea of experiencing it. All they know is, oh, you know, from what they've heard, CrossFit is unsafe. So they're going to encourage their patients against it, as opposed to taking a closer look at, 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 what is, you know, the, the most popular fitness trend, if you want to call it that. It's not a trend anymore in my mm -hmm. mind, but essentially one of the most popular, um, you know, fitness activities that, that you can do as uh, spanning around the, the, uh, the, the world, you know? So your second question there, how did I get into it? Um, so I have always been, a um, I've always enjoyed martial arts. Uh, I have a black belt in Taekwondo. I've done some training in judo, some training in jujitsu. The most recent martial art that I trained in was uh, Krav Maga, uh, which was pioneered by the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force. Um, and that's how I got into CrossFit. So in 2010, 2011, I was training at a gym called Ohio Krav Maga and Fitness. And um, the gym was huge, right? And as you can imagine by the name, you had half of the gym dedicated to Krav Maga and people like myself training and then another half of the gym doing this rather new thing called CrossFit and um, you know I would come to Krav and I would train and I would see the people on the other side of the gym and and um, I had a couple of them always just just kind of <laughs> not heckling me but they were just always on me about hey Nick, you know, you, you know, you, you should, you, you would probably be good at this CrossFit thing. You should totally give it a shot. And I remember uh, one of them, Eric uh, Holt, I, I responded to him. I was like, Hey man, I mean, at the end of every single class, all of you are on the ground 
staring at the ceiling, looking like you hate your life. <laughs> I want Why nothing to do with that whatsoever. That's exactly. literally that's literally the setup we have right now, right? So we have a right. ten thousand square foot facility, and yeah. uh, six of it is like my my fitness space, and the other four thousand yeah. is Brazilian jiu jitsu. So uh, nice. like I'm a Brazilian jiu jitsu uh, brown belt. So instantly I was like, "You're a martial arts guy." Like I was all excited. Oh about yeah. It. <laughs> oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, like yeah. jiu jitsu is awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny. I just had a patient the other day who I was telling him that I want to start training Krav again, and my patient was like, no, 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 you should trade jiu-jitsu. Yeah, like, yeah, we're yeah. literally, we stopped talking about medical stuff and then he's like trying to get me to, to yeah. do jiu-jitsu. Um, no, nah, jiu-jitsu is a beautiful uh, martial art. Anyway, so um, yeah, so th these guys just kept on me, right? Every day that I was training Krav, they just kept on me and, and for maybe three or four months. And then one day I just broke down. I was like, all right, I guess I'll try this. And in, in the back of my head, I was definitely more confident than I should have been because in my head, I was like, Dude, you have a black belt to Taekwondo. You done training because you know as well as I do, right? As somebody who trains martial arts, that stuff is hard. Like it'll, it'll, it'll knock you up. Sure. Pretty much anyone who who spars another human being, that's a very demanding activity on the cardio respiratory system, mm -hmm. right? So um, essentially, I was overconfident. I was, I was like, okay, I should be able, I should be fine at this. You know, I'm, I'm good with martial arts. I should be fine across it. As you can imagine, I, yep. at the end of that one hour, who was who, who is, who is the newest addition to people on the ground staring at the ceiling? Dr. Nick. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, um, you know, and, and as much as I, I found something super interesting with that, I was like, okay, this is kicking my butt every single day. It's a challenge, right? Um, I obviously didn't fall out of love with Krav. Um, so now in my head, I'm like, okay, there's, you know, one hour for Krav one hour for CrossFit. That's how long these classes are. And I'm in medical school. I don't have, I'm studying 16 to 18 hours a day. I don't have time for two hours of fitness. So I was like, okay, I have to pick one. It, it, it sucks, but I have to, I, between Krav and CrossFit, I have to pick one. And ultimately I just logically thought about it. And I was like, I think I want to choose the one that should put me in the position where if I ever want to go back to the other one in the future, I will be very capable and sound um, uh, and very, very capable of doing so. So I, I chose CrossFit. And at this point in my life, I definitely, things have calmed down a little bit. So I think I want to go back into training, which is why I'm debating between Krav and Jiu-Jitsu. So what you're saying is, and, and, and maybe we can make this a public announcement here. What you're saying is in a couple of months, I'm going to see Doc Nick and a uh, Gi on the uh, the social media. And uh, yeah, <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. Might, might be Krav. Have you ever tried Krav? I have not, but I've got multiple clients. That I had one actually just got back from uh, San Diego pretty recently. And he talked about like yeah. he was like looking for, he wanted obviously to find a place to do jujitsu. And the only place he yeah. found that was open was a Krav place. And he just kind of yeah. told us, he's like, man, this stuff's kind of crazy. Crazy and uh, yeah. he enjoyed it, of course, but I have no yeah. personal experience with it. Although I used to uh, watch this show. I don't know if you remember. It's called like the human weapon. And one of yes. those. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw an episode of Krav Maga and I was like, dude, that looks intense. Uh, it looks like yeah. something I would be into. I, I just haven't yeah. been exposed to it. Uh, yeah. So I, I want to. It's so funny that you just brought up that show because yeah. I remember that show had like, like, oh, uh, you know, on an average hit, like 300 newtons of force would be like, is that the show you're yeah. talking about? Yeah. It's all yeah, scientific yeah. and diagrams are yeah. coming on the guy. Yeah. 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 I loved it. Loved it. Yeah. It was such a great show. I actually try to find yeah. uh, some reruns to show my, uh, this side tangent here, try to show some reruns to my son on a uh, YouTube uh, of that show, because I was trying to explain yeah. it to him and I couldn't put it into words. So, yeah. Uh, so I have some questions about steady MD. I actually was not 
familiar with it whatsoever. Somehow I had missed CrossFit talking about it a handful of times in, on their social media accounts and stuff like that. So when I found you, I, I kind of dove into what it was all about and I followed them on social media and stuff like that, especially to be prepared for you know our conversation. But uh, I, I'm very intrigued by the model. I'm curious for you, like why were you drawn to that versus you know the traditional medicine? I know you have some, some, very, uh, some very good opinions or what I would consider good opinions on the traditional medical space and stuff like that. So why, you know, steady MD, steady MD, remote and stuff like that versus in-person seeing patients and stuff? So I think um, that's a really good question. You know, essentially, I think that most doctors, I mean, I, I would damn well hope that this is the case, but I think that most doctors, if not all, go to medical school with the genuine hope and desire of getting out and being able to treat patients for the rest of their lives, not just not just put a bandaid on things, right? But actually being able to um, improve uh, patients' health uh, and and kind of leave them better than they found them. Um, now, despite the fact that that may be the initial desire propelling many people to medical school, they get out. And if they spend any time in practice, especially as a prime, I'm, I'm a primary care doctor. I'm not a specialist. Uh, so maybe specialists are, are different, but I highly doubt it. Um, but as a primary care doctor, I can tell you that the, the aspiration, the, the dream that I just kind of painted for you is not how it is. Instead, um, how it is, is that you have to see 20, 20 to 30 patients in the clinic every single day for a medical group to stay solvent, for them to, to stay afloat. Um, and essentially that is sustainable from a business model uh, for, for physicians, but I don't think that it's sustainable from a patient-centered model. Um, what I mean by that is if you're seeing 20 to 30 patients a day, uh, you have to see um, between three to four patients an hour. And if you just do the math on that, right, that's 15 to 20 minutes per patient, uh, per patient encounter. Uh, so, you know, the, the, I, I had a, I, I've definitely practiced um, in, in clinics and I've, I've seen patients in the model just described to 20 to 30 patients a day. And it is simply from a, from an optimal health standpoint, you as a doctor, you don't have the chance to do what you really like to do with these patients. You don't have a chance to 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 prop them up and to to put them in a in a very healthy place of their life where things are optimal. Instead, you you basically have to give out uh, uh, band aids, right? And band aids in this in this circumstance, I'm talking about medications. You don't necessarily have the chance to sit down and and figure out okay what is what is your issue what is the fundamental issue for example i'll bring up a patient who i saw yesterday who is a 38 year old who has had uh, pretty prolific fatigue for quite some time now uh, for for three to four months and she wanted to know you know essentially what what medication she should be on to help her with this and I immediately pushed back on that question, obviously gently, but I did push back on her question. And I said to her, you shouldn't need a, med a medication for this. This is not something we should immediately jump to medicine to, to fix. Instead, we need to find out why is this happening, right? Uh, so we talked about, as you can imagine, over the time that, that I saw her, I talked with her about her sleep, 
I talk with her about her menstrual cycle because uh, 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 menorrhagia, which is a prolific, um, prolific period flow every single month, that can cause uh, a decreased red blood cell count, decreased hematocrit, which is an anemia, and then an anemia can present as fatigue. Um, uh, I talked with her about her stressors in life. I talked with her essentially about many other things outside of, okay, you know, just give me a medicine. And I think that unfortunately, when you only have a patient in the clinic for 15 to 20 minutes, you don't have the chance to, to dive into a patient's life and actually evaluate, okay, what kind of things could you potentially change in your life to alleviate, to improve on this issue? Um, and you know, you, you don't have the chance to really do some good detective work. So, you know, th this is not the, the problem that I'm bringing up isn't necessarily a problem with uh, physicians around the country. Uh, what it is in reality is that, you know, people like to think that doctors are kind of the top dog in their offices. They are not. Instead, there are administrators commonly above us and administrators are not healthcare practitioners. They did not go to med school. And unfortunately, the bottom line is that administrators only see the bottom line. They, they uh, will, will oftentimes force doctors to, to see that many patients per hour, to see that many patients in a day, because they know how much the clinic needs to make to stay afloat. And that if a doctor is seeing less than a certain amount of patients every day, but the, the, the flip side of that is that if the doctor is spending more time with every patient in any given encounter and actually doing well by that patient, by that patient, actually doing everything that they can to improve that patient's health, which to me means potentially looking to see what medications you can take off of their list. You shouldn't, as a doctor, be wanting to put patients on more medications. You should be looking instead what optimizations can we make in their lifestyle to take patients off of medications uh, and, and essentially put them in a healthier spot. Um, and unfortunately, I can tell you that you do not have that time when administrators are forcing you to see three to four patients an hour. You simply do not have that time. So the, the difference with me and why StudyMD spoke to me when I started uh, you know, uh, when I started working with them is because we don't have that time constraint. I, you know, the, the patient who I just mentioned, who I saw yesterday, uh, the, the lady with three or four months of fatigue, our visit was an hour and 20 minutes. And as you can imagine, in an hour and 20 minutes, I have the opportunity to dive deep into her history, to ask her very in-depth questions, to get to know her on more than a cursory basis, more than a superficial level. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that actually went pretty deep. And, and you know, recently I've got a, a story of a, a, one of my team members on my uh, martial arts side. He was struggling with uh, some, some, you know, some like deep like stomach pain and he couldn't really put his finger on it and he was put on a number of different medications he was given some antibiotics that actually caused a, a very severe reaction of anxiety yeah. right like now he's having panic attacks and all these different things are going on because he was just prescribed all these different things so uh, for me I, I was sort of frustrated with that and just kind of listening to him talk about it and some of the struggles that he had and he had to go out network to find a doctor that would essentially figure out what was going on with him and uh 
uh, obviously, so there's frustration that I get to see as a, as a, as a friend and as a, you know, uh, uh, owner to him and stuff like that. And, um, see, and, th- and that's the thing yeah. when you just mentioned it, so I didn't even touch on that. And, and I think that's important that you say that medicine, I all too often, too many people feel that medicines are benign. And by that, I mean that, oh, it's just medicine. It's not going to hurt you. There is no medicine that you know we can touch on that doesn't have some adverse risk potentially. Even things that are pretty much in everybody's medicine cabinet, ibuprofen, right? So ibuprofen is something that's an NSAID. It is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug like Aleve, like diclofenac, like so many other medications. And one of the main side effects of, of NSAIDs like that are GI distress, ulcer, uh, ulcer uh, formation, which can cause uh, stomach upset and can cause, you know, a litany of other issues. Um, so I think that, you know, what you just, um, what you just implied is, is a very huge thing, which is that I, 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 I am not a fan of physicians or even patients, because there are definitely some patients who come to their doctor saying, I want to be put on this medication. And essentially what they're doing, it's, and and this is just human psychology, but they're only paying attention to the potential benefits. They're never paying attention to the potential ramifications. What are the potential risks? And if your doctor is not discussing with you before putting you on a medication, hey, these are the potential side effects. These are the potential consequences of this medication. Then that's a doctor you should be avoiding because, you know, everything is not, when it comes to medicine, everything is not rosy. There are, it is, every physician before prescribing a medication for a patient should be doing a balance in their brain of of risk versus reward. And essentially, if the reward does not outweigh the risk, why am I going to put a patient on a medication? If, if, you know, if the, if the reward does outweigh the risk and, you know, and for whatever reason, uh, you know, a, a physician determines that the time course that this patient needs to be on a medication is a limited time course. And because it's a limited time course, there's a, there's a minimal chance of side effects or, um, or any other reason that makes them think, okay, there's a limited chance of side effects. Okay. Then that's, that's a good, that's a good, you know, uh, person to put on medication, but you know, I, I, that's the biggest thing I stress to my patients that medications are not benign and that there are potential risks. So that's something that, you know, your doctor should be discussing with you. Yeah. You know, when I hear you talk about that, the first thing that I think about is number one, why isn't medicine just practiced like this? all over the globe, right? Like, why is it so, you know, my wife who is a, is a nurse at the local hospital here, she's got a lot of very strong opinions about some of the things that she sees and disagrees with and stuff like that. For sure. Um, so hearing you talk about that, like, like I said, before we got on the show, it's like, there's so many things that you talk about that confirm me on the other side of things that I hear from my wife from the hospital and stuff like that. But, you know, when you were talking about the, the, the meeting that you have with your client hour and 20 minutes long, you're asking her about what, you know, in the coaching space, these are unsexy things to talk about sleep, stress mm-hmm. management, like how much mm-hmm. are you training? Like your, your bowel movements, your, your menstrual cycle, like all these things are, they're not the quick fix. They're not the, right. you know, here, take this medicine. Or for me as a coach here, try this 30 day challenge here, try this supplement. Like it's always like, well, let's dig into, you know, some of the deeper things and find some of the causes to what you're experiencing. I know as a coach who's more, you know, very entrenched in like trying to be as evidence-based as possible. I'm always looking long-term for my clients. I'm always Mm -hmm. looking like, cool, what is this going to do to you 
five, six, seven, eight years, 10 years from now, uh, both your training and nutrition, all these different things versus as like, oh, let me fix you by tomorrow. You know, right. do as a medical professional, do you guys get uh, like I've seen, I've read on your profile, you're level one certified. I'm sure you've got other training certifications and stuff too. You're also uh, nutritionally certified. Are these things that you find in the medical community that other doctors are pursuing or is there formal education to even, you know, have the types of conversations that you're able to have? There is formal education. I mean, I mean, this is, you know, especially with the internet, right? There's mm -hmm. formal education uh, available for, for so many different things. It's just, you just have to be the type of person who states, you know, to yourself, well, first of all, can, can admit to yourself that you are weak in an area and then kind of pursue the, the education necessary to, to, um, refine your skills and mm -hmm. to be able to help your patients with that area that you used to be weak in. So, um, you know, uh, uh, to answer your question more pointedly, no, this is not, these are not things we get trained in, um, in medical school. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm definitely never, I've never been one to sit here and say, oh, you know, this needs to be added to the medical curricula simply because I know what's in, I, I experienced first Hamlet's in the medical curriculum and it's, it's already, stressful enough it's sure. already loaded enough i don't think that it would be appropriate to to you know um to 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 belabor it with with even more content but i do think that it is something that um you know it, it it's very prudent for for example with the whole you know crossfit level one certification um that is something that i wanted to partake in that is something i wanted to learn simply so i could speak um, with more authority with my patients when they want to start CrossFit or start any other type of training. Um, you know, I definitely didn't want to be one of these doctors who we just spoke about, who a patient comes in and says, Hey, you know, Dr. Nick, I like to power lift or I like to CrossFit or I like to do Olympic weightlifting. Uh, and I got this injury doing it, you know, what do you think about this injury? Um, and, you know, I didn't want to be the type of physician that automatically reflexively tell my patient to stop doing whatever it is that they enjoy doing for their activity. Um, so, you know, I, I, like I said, dabbled in some, some training, uh, for myself, just to increase my education on, on that matter. Um, so I think that, you know, ultimately it just needs to be a, a self-guided solution where, um, so, so right now I'm reading, you know, a number of books on, on sleep, um, uh, and trying to educate myself more on sleep. You know, I've, I've read a number of, of books and, and educated myself on with different diets. I've personally tried a lot of different diets. So a lot of my patients are like, okay, you know, um, well, will come to me because I have, for example, I have experience with Whole30. I have experience with paleo. I have experience with keto. Am I on any of those right now? Absolutely not. But I have experience with them, right? I'm not going to tell somebody, hey, you should stop doing that because I read in some magazine or, you know, uh, whatever that, that it's, it's a bad thing because, you know, ultimately, you know, doctors are, we definitely, especially I, I know myself, I, I, I try to keep things as evidence-based as possible, but you have to keep in mind that despite the fact that that is our goal or that should be our goal, we are all influenced by popular culture notions which is like what I talked about earlier, right? With, with CrossFit, what is the, what is the pop culture notion on, on, on CrossFit? I can damn well guarantee you that no doctor is over here recommending 
against CrossFit because they read in a study that CrossFit is, 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 you know, damaging or, or too, too risky. That's not, there, there are, there are at least to the best of my knowledge, you know, no studies that, that say that yet you will have doctors recommending against it. And it's simply because it is, it's, it's in a kind of pop culture and, and popular notion. So I think that, you know, ultimately whatever it is that, you know, we find ourselves, um, commonly coming across with patients and that you know we're honest enough to realize that we're not strong in and we we need to get better in for the sake of our patients it's kind of incumbent upon us to to go down that road to to seek out training uh, and further training and and to be able to you know speak with with more authority on the given subject matter I love that too. And, and I'm pretty sure there's a, a bunch of listeners right now, like, how do I find Dr. Nick? How do I contact that dude and get him to take care of me? Because uh, I, I personally think of a lot of experiences where there was a, uh, a reactionary answer versus like one that was really listening, you know? Um, so for, for you, you, you've got a new patient that comes to you. I'm very interested in the process of what that looks like, right? New patient reaches out to you, whether, I don't know how the, how the, the, the lead flow goes or anything with SETI-MD, but when you get a new patient, what does that workup look like? Is there a particular process that they go through? You know, how long are the first meetings? Like, what does that whole process look like if somebody did want to get started with, uh, you know, a SETI-MD doctor like yourself? So SETI-MD prides itself on um, matching the right patient with the right doctor. We have, I believe, you know, we have many doctors, I believe like 20, 20 something doctors. So uh, what we do is uh, there's a quiz, there's a SETI-MD quiz uh, that patients take before they ever see their doctor. The, the quiz asks many different aspects about you. It's a very individualized thing. Um, and then on the back end, it is comparing your answers to the doctors uh, on the service who um, may appeal to you. Because let's say, for example, let's say you're a vegetarian, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, it would present you, we have a, a few vegetarian uh, physicians, and obviously they have the most experience with that anecdotal and otherwise. Um, uh, there is a physician uh, who works for us, um, Dr. Josh, who is very much into into running, into marathon running. Um, so, you know, if you take the quiz and you're describing your activities and marathon running is something that you do, uh, the setting of the quiz will not necessarily recommend me. It's going to recommend Dr. Josh. It's going to recommend other physicians who also partake in the activities that you partake um, simply because in the real world, when it comes to a long-standing relationship with your physician, uh, that connection matters that that um uh, alignment of mindset matters no doctor wants a patient who is argumentative who is resistant to recommendations uh and, and suggestions and by the same token no patient wants a doctor who won't even hear them out who won't listen to them who will automatically swipe away or not swipe away but automatically bat away at you know whatever um 
whatever they say or whatever they bring up or, or is dismissive, patients want doctors who are going to take the time to, to listen to them and then hopefully um, understand them. And ultimately, having similar experiences, life experiences, makes us more understanding as human beings. So um, the quiz is a very important and significant component of SteadyMD when it comes to, like I said, matching the, uh, the, the, the patient, the new patient with the right physician. After that happens, um, we set up an appointment uh, with the uh, patient schedule uh, being the priority, of course. We set up an appointment with the patient um, uh, brand, uh, so, so that's called the, the history, the history and physical, that, that first appointment where um, it is, it's, it's earmarked for one hour, but I mean, I, I think that's not something that many study MD docs um, hold patients to. For example, I can tell you from memory, the longest appointment that I ever had with a patient, she was 67. So she had a, when she came to me at least, she had a lot of medical problems, not so much anymore because I've, I've addressed them. But at 67, she had so many medical problems that our first appointment was two and a half hours. And I, I literally, you know, I, I, I was there with her for two and a half hours. The reason why it was two and a half hours is because I was very, I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss anything, but I, I covered all the bases and, and addressed every one of her problems with a plan. Um, so, so that's what we did. So, you know, essentially, like I said, every appointment is earmarked for an hour, but I'm sure other study MD docs are like myself in terms of extending things as necessary. Um, beyond that first appointment, you know, patients then have this long-standing um, uh, relationship with us, wherein they can message us as many times as they want per month. Um, uh, you know, if, if I have sometimes patients messaging me with, "Hey, Doctor Nick, you know, I'm having increased anxiety today," and and you know that they sometimes people will want a modification of their medications. For example, I have a number of patients with Graves' disease, with uh, Hashimoto's uh, thyroiditis, with um, medical issues that legitimately need medications, uh, chronic medications to, to stay on top of. So sometimes we'll need to modify those meds. Sometimes they'll need refills so they can just drop in uh, in the chat, you know, hey, Dr. Nick, I need a refill and I take care of that. Um, or if they have a new problem, they can just as easily message me um, and pretty much all steady and docs are uh, respond within 24 to 48 hours to all of their all of their messages sometimes patients want a, a formal appointments follow-up they some patients aren't you know um, on board with just you know messaging their doctor whenever they like they want to set a time in the future and you know, even if that's a week from then. So then we'll do that too. And, and we'll, we'll see them uh, at that time and address whatever their issue is. So it's a very um, um, kind of, we all pride ourselves on that connection with, with your patient and being able to uh, attend to them when they need it, um, which is a huge difference as compared to most of the reality in the primary care world um, in person. You know, unfortunately, most patients have the experience of not being able to see their primary care doctor for two to three weeks, sometimes four weeks, because their primary care doctor is booked. Um, so they have to set an appointment a couple weeks out. Uh, meanwhile, whatever issue you have, you have to deal with it for that time. So, um, you know, this is very different in that you you let us know what the issue is. We discuss it. 
uh, come up with a plan and address it immediately as opposed to having to to wait for uh, a follow-up appointment in the future. Uh, and then lastly, there are no co-pays with us. So anytime that you send us a message, anytime that you establish a follow-up appointment, um, uh, there, there are no co-pays. We don't, that's not, that's not the business model of, of SteadyMD. Um, so it's that monthly fee. And then under that monthly fee, you can message your doctor as much as you like. You can have as many follow-up appointments as you like, no copay. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's something that uh, from, from my standpoint as a physician who really um, takes enjoyment uh, from being able to actively help my patients become healthier as opposed to simply slapping a Band-Aid on things and kind of getting them out of the door, uh, it's, it's something that, that I, I enjoy. So inside of those appointments and stuff like that, I imagine, uh, you know, doing things remotely versus like, you know, touching and, and being able to see a person, uh, you know, face to face, there are, you know, maybe some different, uh, you know, methods that you guys use or specific questioning or stuff like that. Like, uh, so I guess my question would be inside of a typical appointment, what does that look like? I mean, are, are we're, we're, I can think of for me, like going to the doctor, I go in, the, the medical assistant comes in, I get my blood pressure checked, you know, they ask me a bunch of questions, you know, we, then we kind of go through the process, but steady MD, that model is a little bit different. So uh, could you explain to the listeners, like, what does a typical appointment look like? Like, okay, you know, I've got a one o'clock appointment with Dr. Nick today. What does that look like? Are we doing Zoom or we've got Google Meet? Is there a particular video platform? Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's exclusively over Zoom. Um, and as it pertains to the questions, all doctors, regardless of specialty, we all do something, and this may um, have seemed uh, a little bit, um, not, not uh, in depth, but a little bit, um, oh, what's the word? I'm drawing a blank on the word, but um, we, we delve, right? And essentially that delving is, is taking a history as a physician. So, so we ask certain questions, taking a, a history um, as it pertains to not just your specific problem. So um, that would be your, your chief complaint of the history of present illness. Uh, but specifically with that first appointment, we're asking everything in your history. What's your past medical history? What are your surgeries? Uh, you know, what medications are you on? What are your allergies? What's your family history? What's your social history? So it's as detailed as you would be in the office. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I would argue that simply because we have more time, it is more detailed. You know, I can sit here and, um, and, and listen to you as you talk to me, as opposed to giving you that impression that many patients get when they're in the office with a physician, which is many patients feel rushed. Many patients, you know, feel like, okay, I'm trying to answer my doctor um, and, and they're just kind of rushing me through the answers. I don't need to rush my patients. I can ask them, uh, you know, tell me about your, your, your uh, family history and they can go through everyone from extended family to, to close family. Um, and then with that, obviously, I can determine their risk for different, uh, 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 different medical issues. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, like I said, it's just like what you would have in the office, except we can give a little bit more time to, to listening to my, to, to our patients and, uh, and then asking relevant and pertinent questions. Mm -hmm. I feel like the, the, what you guys are doing at steady MD is, um, 
I find that the end results and some of the outcomes on a lot of your patients, just from, you know, just listening to you talk about the types of things you guys are looking for, the amount of time that you get to spend with them, there's a lot of, probably a lot more positive outcomes, probably a lot less, you know, misdiagnosis and stuff like that across the board. And, and to me, that sounds very encouraging because I, I, I always get into these rants with my wife about how, you know, people are just, you know, giving out pills and giving prescriptions and are not asking questions about the whys behind things and, and they're treating no. the, the, the symptom instead of the cause. It's actually something that, uh, I don't know, is Julie Fouché a part of uh, Steady MD? I don't know if you're familiar with her at all. I'm very familiar with Julie. Um, yeah. No, she's not. Instead, um, she's familiar with another thing that I'm associated with, CrossFit Health. Uh -huh. um, she, she's very, uh, very... Um, involved in CrossFit Health and she, she's an awesome practitioner. Yeah. So I was listening to her, her podcast a number of years ago. And one of the things that she kind of harped on for the entire show was about, uh, you know, treating the symptom instead of the cause, right? Passing out pills. Right. And then I heard you on yes. Ryan Fisher's podcast talking about that very thing. Um, why aren't more people in that mindset? And, and really like, um, I guess, is the, the reason you're not in that mindset simply because you're not being rush through any process and you can take your time with things. I think, I think that nail. Okay. So, all right, let me back up here. Yeah. Like I said, right. I don't think that everybody physician or not sees the glass as half empty or half full, right? Mm -hmm. People are either pessimistic or optimistic. I'm definitely the optimist, right? I don't like to, I don't like to assume that people have um, the worst intentions and kind of an extension of that. Um, I very much believe that most physicians, at least graduating med school, that things change, right? People, people change uh, throughout their lives, especially as different stressors are applied. But at least going to med school and graduating med school, most people graduate truly wanting to help their patients. But that, that's all nice. That's all well and nice. But, that, but if, if you are involved in a system that is fundamentally constrained in ways that limit your ability to truly help your patient, then all of a sudden that does not become your priority. It's, it's truly as simple as that. So, you know, to, to answer your question of kind of why are more physicians of that mindset? I simply think that when you are, when you have to confront the reality of being a primary care doctor who sees 20 to 30 patients four to five days a week, do the math on how many patients that is. Um, when when you have to confront that reality, you quickly you quickly do whatever you can to stay afloat and to stay above water, and that does not necessarily include delving deep into the problem and trying to find a solution to the problem instead of uh, an app simply slapping a bandaid on it, right? And like I said, treat or, or like you just said, right? Treating the the symptom instead of treating the problem. Alone. Fundamentally, it would be best to treat the problem uh, so that ultimately you have the best patient outcome. So your patient comes to you and they're happy, you know, when they're they're hugging you and they're they're super appreciative that you have fixed this 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 issue that was so troubling for them. But the reality is that if you are fundamentally in a healthcare system, which is exactly you know the the majority of physicians. Um, at least in this country in primary care are in a healthcare model that does not let them uh, do the best by their patients. And, you know, thankfully, there are more and more physicians, uh, and we're, we're a small contingent right now, but there are more and more physicians who are practicing with this, this separate model where we can see patients for much longer 
And, you know, we are not having administrators above us trying to pressure us to, to make as much money as possible, um, you know, because essentially, you know, healthcare, healthcare is a very, um, it is a, uh, it's something to me that's sacred because you literally have somebody trusting you as their physician with their health. Nothing. If you, if you step back, I've talked about this before. And to me, like when I, when I had this epiphany, it was huge. Nothing is more important than your health. Not, you can sit here and, and, and say, okay, you know, your family is more important than your health. Your career is more important than your health. And then I can ask you one simple question without your health, how are you going to experience those things? Without, without actually, if you had very poor health and you were on your deathbed, how are you going to experience more, more time with your loved ones? How are you going to experience, you know, the joy of, of rising through the ranks at, uh, in your career? You're not going to experience those things. How are you going to, you know, experience being out in nature and, 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 you know, enjoying, enjoying time with, with friends, doing things that you enjoy, you're not going to experience those things without, without your health. So you know, in my, in my opinion, healthcare is a very intimate thing uh, that you should have with your patient. And, uh, and like I said, if, if they have to be in a position as the patient where they can trust you. Um, and the current state of health, the current state of healthcare, wherein you don't have time with your patient, you have to rush them through. It's essentially a pill mill. Uh, it's not optimal. Um, and so, you know, I, I agree with Julie and, and any other practitioner who believes that that's really not the way because I, I simply don't believe that it is either. Do you, you know, with this, the, the current model that we kind of see in the United States, and I mean, that's obviously that's the only one I have experience with, right? The, mm -hmm. the current model of, you know, the, the medical profession in the United States is very much obviously what you're talking about. Has it always been like that? Or is that something that you've seen really shift you know, the, the past X amount of years, because it's more, cause I, you know, I was having a conversation one time with somebody and, you know, my, and, and it was with my wife and she's like, you know, she's like, what people forget is like, you know, hospitals are run by, you know, business people, right? Mm -hmm. Has yes. that always been the model? Cause I mean, as a businessman, like I, I, I run multiple businesses, <clears throat> like I want to make money. I want to cut profit. I also want to take care of the people that I take care of. But right. obviously, like, there could be such a separation from, you know, the CEOs and the board members and all the people that run the hospitals versus, you know, guys like you who are on the ground, you're, you're doing the work, you're taking care of people. So there's this huge separation. Has that always been the way? Or is that something that has kind of transpired over the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years? Uh, or, you know, I guess, what do you know about the history? And when did this transition take place? So... You know, I'm a big believer in shutting my mouth when I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. And, um, I, with, with, with that said, I re, keep in mind, I recently graduated from med school, right? Okay. 2015 from med school, 2018 from residency. So I don't have the, the firsthand experience um, that, that answering your question would imply. Mm -hmm. But from what I've been told by older doctors, no, it has not always been this way, mm -hmm. right? There has been a fundamental transition as, as, as healthcare um, made administrators and made hospital systems more and more money. This shift has taken place to a greater and greater extent and things have just gotten worse and worse. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when I was a kid, um, and you can probably agree or disagree with this, but I remember when I was a kid, there were many more, there were many more single physician practices all over the United States. Oh, yeah. You could go to a 
doctor's office and it was quite literally only one doctor, right? Um, these days, you would be hard pressed to find that. Instead, what you will find are medical groups where you have many different doctors uh, all under one building. And then oftentimes that medical group is owned by a hospital system. And the reason why that is, is because you know, you, you can't, uh, single physician practices can quite literally not stay solvent in the current, in the current world where you have huge hospitals, huge medical groups, um, uh, being able to see so many more patients. And then with that, having, you know, um, magnified profits compared to to single uh, single physician uh, practices. I mean, essentially, that is why you don't so so many doctors from single physician practices have either gone out of business, or they have joined um, other physicians and they become medical groups. And then like I said, medical groups have coalesced under uh, have coalesced under hospital systems. Um, because of exactly what what your wife um, uh, has been stating, which I entirely agree with that, you know, that um, these 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 uh, hospital systems are huge. They make a significant amount of money, um, and with that, uh, you know, they have they have business minded people at the helm. Uh, the CEOs, the 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 upper management are never physicians, or no, nah, let me actually back up. Are very rarely physicians, uh, but are instead people who went to business school. Uh, and people who are very inclined to do anything and everything necessary to maximize profit. I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's um, it, it's something. I, obviously, I deal with it uh, from just you know my wife being in the medical field and stuff like that. And I know just conversations with so many clients that there are just you know experiencing these things firsthand. Uh, Dr. Nick, I do want to respect your time. I, I'd love for us to jump into, um, you know, you can, you know, plug anything that you're working on or anything that you have coming up in the future. Um, where can people learn more about you? I'm sure there are probably hundreds of people that are like, that dude's not going to be my doctor. Like, how do people reach out to you and learn more about you? Um, yeah. So primarily, I, I see patients uh, through SteadyMD, uh, as, as we have talked about earlier. So that's just www.steadymd.com. You can take the quiz. Um, after you take the quiz, uh, I hopefully will pop up and be one of the suggested doctors if I am licensed to practice medicine in your state. I'm currently licensed in about 35 states um, across the country. So there's a good chance that I will be able to see you. Um, otherwise, you know, I, as we kind of alluded to at the very beginning of this, I do have an Instagram page, the fittest doc. Um, however, within the last couple of days, I don't know how it happened and I'm trying to figure it out, but I did get hacked. Um, so I don't have access to my account. So if anybody in listener land happens to know somebody, um, who works at Instagram or could help me kind of fix this, this problem, I would very much appreciate appreciate it. Uh, if you do happen to know anybody and you can, you can help me and kind of connect me to them, my email, my personal email is the fittest doc at gmail.com. Um, same thing as my, my, um, my uh, Instagram name, and I would definitely appreciate your help. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much where you can find me these days. And, um, uh, you know, I would love, uh, love to answer anybody's questions um, who, who reaches out. 
All right, cool. And uh, Doc, again, I'll, I'll punch your email down in the uh, show notes of the show when it comes out. I'll probably get it out uh, a week from the time of us recording it right now. And uh, we'll, we'll see if we can't, you know, land something to get your, your page turned back on. I know you put out a, a lot of ton uh, or a ton of good information on there. And I'd love to, you know, be a part of getting you turned back on again. So, uh, Doc, yeah. thank you so much for your time, man. This was super enlightening. And I'm sure that the listeners gained so much knowledge from it. Hey, I really appreciate you inviting me on to, to talk to you about this and to nerd out with you. And, uh, definitely, uh, you know, I kind of wish we would have talked more. I'm, I'm a huge, huge into CrossFit and just yeah. training. And, and uh, so maybe sometime in the future, we'll talk about that. I, I love talking about Just got to get so, you back on. That's all it is. That sounds like a second yeah. interview to me. <laughs> hey, hey, we'll do that. Uh, you know, I, I, I really um, appreciate people like you, uh, you know, Coach Glassman, back when he was at the helm of CrossFit, often made the analogy that, you know, coaches, coaches are, or rather he said that doctors are uh, lifeguards and coaches um, are essentially trained people to, to swim and that we need less lifeguards and more people training people to swim. And I, I think everyone, so everyone in the room, when he said that um, at the CrossFit Health seminar uh, before the pandemic absolutely agreed with that. And I agree with that too. I think that coaches provide a fundamental benefit to society um, for, uh, well, to only the people who, you know, make it through the door and consistently keep coming yeah. in. But for the people that do do that, I mean, the, the benefit to your health on a long standing basis uh, that coaches provide in gyms across the country. Uh, is more beneficial than any single doctor can do. Um, so, you know, we need more people like you and, and, you know, I'm definitely appreciative of all that you do. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. All right, doc. All right, Cody. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today and tuning into the virtuous fitness podcast. I release episodes every single week. You can find me at coach Cody Smith in the gym at virtuous fitness WA on Instagram to stay up to date with all things virtuous fitness. Before you go, head over to iTunes and give this show a rating review. That is how we grow this show and make it even more impactful for you. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.